Welcome to the study of God's Word, recorded live from Calvary Chapel in Aurora, Colorado. To learn more about the many resources available through Abounding Grace Media, visit us online at calvaryaurora.org or download our free app on all platforms. And now, let's open our Bibles and study God's Word. I want to first thank you for wearing your mask and following the distance. Um, I have a funny story that happened this past weekend where I got kicked out of a coffee shop for not having a mask. So I understand what it feels like to wear a mask or not have a mask. I tried walking in uh, with a shirt over my mouth and uh, the guy looked at me and said, sir, we cannot serve you because you do not have a mask. And I was like, really? He's like, yes. And this is again, my shirt is over my mouth. It's kind of this awkward moment. I look him in the eyes. He's like, yes, please get out. (laughs) So I walked out. So I understand the mask thing, and I understand it's a hassle, but I thank you for doing it so that we can worship together. So with all of that, now we get to jump into the message. Today's title is God's Promises Are Worth Our Perseverance. And if there was one thing I wanted you to take away from today, it's that title, it's that one truth, that God's promises are worth our perseverance. I remember back in high school, I was trying out for a new baseball team. And I remembered, like, I really, I just want to be on this team. So I was calling the coaches. I was calling all the different levels, varsity, JV. Like, I was just annoying them all winter long. I finally get a call back from the coach. And he says, hey, we know you want to be on the team. We're going to be doing these unofficial workouts in February. Uh, And this was here in Colorado, so it was very cold. At 5 a.m. in our gymnasium. You're welcome to come. I was like, 5 a.m., okay. So I would wake up at 4.45 in the morning. I'd get up on uh, my older brother's bike, and I'd ride however many miles it was to this gym. And I'd get there, and I would practice, you know, week after week after week. What I didn't expect when I said yes to attending those workouts was that in February in Colorado, it is frigidly cold in the mornings. I'd wake up, and I'd realize that two layers wasn't enough. Three layers wasn't enough. Four layers wasn't enough. And I remember at one point I had six layers of clothing on with my backpack filled with my baseball gear, riding in the morning to this baseball practice day after day after day. And it wasn't a workout. It was an unofficial full-on baseball practice indoors. So I'd get there. I'd completely unlayer uh, down my first layer. And I would start practicing with the team week after week. Until one morning, and I remember this morning very vividly, which is why I'm sharing this story with you. I wake up and Colorado graciously gave us four inches of snow the night before. And for me, on my bike, it was the most treacherous, horrible, it was the worst experience of my life. I remember sliding off the curb into the street. I remember thinking, this is not worth it, this baseball team. I don't care if I, I'm not going to make it. This is horrible. I hate this. And I came back home after that day and I told my parents, I almost died. I froze my face off. My eyebrows were chipping off. Like, you don't understand the the pain I went through. I'm done with this character building plan you have for me. And uh, they had me wake up the next morning, jump on my bike and ride to the gym. And I appreciate that for them because they were teaching me an important lesson. They were teaching me this idea of perseverance. And and I wanted to make sure I looked it up so I didn't mess up the definition because I did mess this up uh, last night. So I looked it up. It's It's on my phone. And here we go. The definition for perseverance. It is this. Persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. Persistence in doing something despite difficulty or delay in achieving success. That's exactly what I was doing for this baseball team. And in fact, actually, I didn't even have a promise to look towards. I had a hope that maybe if I worked hard enough, if I was around enough, that I would get this spot on this team. But in my mind, it was worth the pain 
of the cold. It was worth the work. It was worth the tiredness that I felt and experienced to get on that bike and to ride day after day to get to this morning workout. It was this persistence. And today, as we jump into Joshua chapter 6, I want to share with you a story about the children of Israel as they move into the promised land. It's a popular story, even if you didn't grow up in the church. It's one that you may have heard before, Joshua and the Battle of Jericho. And it talks about this persistence that they needed to have, not just Joshua as the leader, but the children of Israel as they were given this odd command of God on how they were going to take this city. It required this obedience from them on a daily basis in order to attain or obtain the promise of God. But before we jump into it, I want to give you some background and context. Joshua is this new leader. He's on the scene. Moses, who was the previous leader of the children of Israel, had led the Israelites out of Egypt, out of slavery. They made it to the promised land that God had given them. Because of their lack of trust, their lack of faith in God, they sinned against God. They were afraid to enter into the land. They were caused to wander in the wilderness for 40 years until the generation that disobeyed God had passed away. Joshua comes on the scene as the new leader, leading a new generation, those who were born during the 40-year wandering. And they now have this new opportunity to cross into the promised land. And Jericho would be the first test that they had to face, the first physical test that they had to face, the first battle that they would have to have in this promised land. So if you would pick up with me in chapter 6, starting in Joshua. Uh, we're going to start actually in verse 1. We're going to read through verse this is five, one through five. Joshua chapter six, one through five. Let me get there with you. Here we are. Verse one. Now Jericho was securely shut up because of the children of Israel. None went out and none came in. And the Lord said to Joshua, see, I have given Jericho into your hand. It's king and the mighty men of valor. You shall march around the city, all you men of war. You shall go all around the city once. This you shall do six days. And seven priests shall bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark. But the seventh day you shall march around the city seven times. And the priests shall blow the trumpets. It shall come to pass when they make a long blast with the ram's horns. And when you hear the sound of the trumpet, that all the people shall shout with a great shout. And then the wall of the city will fall down flat. And the people shall go up, every man straight before him. Right away we hear or we see in verse 1 that Jericho is securely shut up. What it doesn't tell us is, in chapter 2, the people of Jericho had heard what God had done for the children of Israel in the previous chapter. They heard that God had separated the Red Sea. They heard that God had dried up the Jordan River for this people. It was a miraculous thing. And because of that moment, because of that miraculous sign from God, the people in the land were afraid. Jericho was expecting a battle to come to them. They were secure. They were shut up. I'm sure they had the resources ready for being besieged, being attacked. They were ready to go for this army, for this group of people that was on their way. And what had happened was Joshua is being told or having this conversation with God, the way that you're going to take this city is not by attacking the gate, is not by destroying the wall, is not by besieging them and waiting for their resources to run out so they surrender to you. No, what you're going to do is you're going to march around it for seven days. Once for six days, and on the last day, you're going to march around it seven times. And then, if it doesn't, that just doesn't make sense, we're going to say, blow your trumpets, and then you're going to let everyone shout, and then the walls will fall down flat. Now, if I was Joshua being a new leader, 
in, in this new area of responsibility, just been given this leadership role. And I was told by God that this was the plan I get to present to the people that have now put their trust in me as their new leader as we jump into this new foreign land to take over. And the plan of attack is to march around the city. I wouldn't go with confidence. Like it, it just doesn't make sense. And it really doesn't. Even as we think about that today, if you and I were a part of the war planning team that we needed to go and take over a certain city, oh, you know, we should just march around it six times and then yell the last day after doing it seven times. And then the walls are just going to fall down. Like we wouldn't do that. That's not logical. It doesn't make sense. It's actually absurd to think that. What's crazy though, is this isn't the first time God does this and it won't be the last time either. Oftentimes God calls us to do things that don't necessarily make sense, that challenge our logic, that challenge our wisdom. He does it because it is going to cause in this situation for the children of Israel to be completely dependent upon him. It wasn't going to be their skill. It wasn't going to be their strength. It wasn't going to be their youth because again, this is a younger generation. Those things weren't going to get them the victory. Obedience was to what God was calling them to do. That's what was going to get them the victory in Jericho. So I said it before and I'll repeat it again. This isn't something abnormal to what God calls us to do. We see the miracles, uh, at least the generation previous to, to this generation saw the miracle of the Red Sea parting. Uh, they got to see the miracle of the Jordan River drying up. Later in 2 Kings chapter 5, Naaman, who's a leper, he's a, a Syrian commander, comes to Elijah, the prophet of God, and he has this leprosy, this disease, and God says, I want you to go dip in the dirty Jordan River, and that's what's going to heal you. The seventh time when you come up, you're going to be completely healed. And he, it, you can read in chapter five, he's just outraged. He's like, what are you talking about? I came to your prophet because I expected the prophet just to wave his hand to say I'm healed and boom, I'm healed. But you're telling me I need to get into this dirty river to be healed of my leprosy? It doesn't make sense. He goes in, he dips seven times, comes out, skin is as nice as a baby's bottom, perfectly clean. Doesn't make sense. Jesus even does this in John chapter 21 in the New Testament. When Peter's fishing all night, he's a career fisherman, you know, deadliest catch on the Sea of Galilee. He knows what he's doing. But it comes in the morning and he has caught no fish all night. Jesus looks at him, he's like, hey, you should put your net on the other side of the boat. And again, put yourself in Peter's position. I am a professional fisherman. I know this lake. I know this sea of Galilee. I have fished it my whole life. And now this guy, I know he's Jesus, but this guy is telling me to throw my net on the other side of my boat and then somehow I'm going to catch fish. Throws the net on the other side of the boat, almost sinks his boat because it's so full of fish. God often calls us to do things that cause us, makes us dependent upon him on purpose. It's not a mistake. It's not like, oh God, I think you really messed this one up. No, no, no. He's doing it to bring us to a place of dependence, trust, and faith. It's going to require from us trust. It's going to require from us faith. It's going to require us to believe in what he has told us. It's going to require of us perseverance in obedience. That's what he's telling Joshua here. This is the plan for victory. This is the first test for you. You need to go relay this to the people. Now, I find it interesting because as a believer, you know, when God calls us to do th things, it's typically different from the world. Um, if you want just a brief example of that, you can go to Matthew chapter 5. 
I won't be turning there with you, but to give you an example, Matthew chapter 5, the Beatitudes, blessed are the merciful, blessed are the peacemakers, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are those who are lowly in spirit. These things identify the believer. You know, blessed are the merciful. I, I think that idea of not giving someone what they deserve, you know, not judging someone for what they, you deserve this. Or Matthew chapter 5, 39, if someone slaps you, you don't slap them back. No, you say, hey, you can have the other cheek. You're preferring someone else above yourself. You're denying yourself. You know, these things are different in the world's eyes. These things are even different in our own eyes as believers. Depending on the day you wake up, you're like, I don't know. Lord, I don't know if I can really do this today. I'm not sure if I can handle this command today. You know, Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit, these characteristics that identify us, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, or self-denial. Lord, I don't know if I can represent those well today if it wasn't for your Holy Spirit working it through me. We're called to live differently as believers. We're called to this different kind of obedience, and that will look odd to others. I would say that first thought of, man, I don't know how this is going to affect those who watch me or see me or who uh, are looking to criticize me or scrutinize me in the way that I live. I would say that's the first layer of difficulty. You know, what, what are people going to think when I act this way? How am I going to be taken advantage of when I act this way in obedience to God? Difficulty. But God's promises that we have in Scripture are worth that perseverance, worth that persistent obedience despite the difficulty or achieving the delay or the, uh, achieving a delayed success. See, that's why I have that on my phone so I can say that quotation correctly. It's just worth it. And those promises, you have Isaiah 26.3. You know, he gives perfect peace to those whose mind has stayed on you. Why? Because he trusts in you. You have 1 John 1.9. We have forgiveness in God. If we confess our sins, he's faithful to, and just to forgive us and cleanse us of all unrighteousness. It's another promise. 2 Corinthians 12.9. His grace is sufficient for us. His strength is made perfect in our weakness. And those are all things that require something of us. The first one, I need to trust God in order to receive that perfect peace. It's hard to trust God sometimes, especially when you don't have peace. It's really difficult. It's hard to confess our sins, to admit that we've actually made mistakes, to say that I have messed up. At least it's hard for me. But when I do, the Lord's faithful to forgive. It's difficult to admit that I'm weak. It's difficult to humble myself. But when I do that, the Lord says, I'm going to perfect my strength in you in this moment. But what has to happen first? I have to admit that I'm weak. I have to recognize my weakness. I can't just steamroll through life and say, I got this. I can, but eventually I'm going to run out. And the Lord's going to say, are you weak yet? Because I have a promise for you that you can take. You just have to obey. Well, what's the obedience? Admit that you're weak. I'm weak, Lord. Boom, here's your strength. Oh my goodness, I can't believe it was that easy. That's really how it works. God is waiting to give you these promises that are found in his word. But sometimes it's difficult to remember what's in this book, especially when we're not in it. I encourage you, that's just a little side encouragement, jump in the word. We're called to live differently as believers. For Joshua, he's about to call the people of Israel into action. They're about to do something very different, something that's never been seen, never been heard of before, especially by them. Something new, something Scary, something that doesn't seem necessarily wise. But here he goes. Pick up with me in 
verse 6 of Joshua chapter 6. We're going to read through verse 14. It says, Then Joshua the son of Nun called the priests and said to them, Take up the Ark of the Covenant. Let seven priests bear seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Ark of the Lord. And he said to the people, Proceed and march around the city and let him who is armed advance before the Ark of the Lord. So it was when Joshua had spoken to the people that the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the Lord advanced and blew the trumpets and the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord followed them. The armed men went before the priests who blew the trumpets and the rear guard came after the ark while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. Now Joshua had commanded the people saying, you shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, shout, then you shall shout. So he had the ark of the Lord, excuse me, had the ark of the Lord circle through the city going around it once. Then they came to the camp and lodged in the camp. And Joshua in verse 12 rose early in the morning and the priests took up the ark of the Lord. Then the seven priests bearing the seven trumpets of ram's horns before the ark of the Lord went on continually and blew with the trumpets. And the armed men went before them, but the rear guard came after the ark of the Lord while the priests continued blowing the trumpets. And the second day they marched around the city once and returned to camp. So they did six days. So the first thing I want to point out, and I think this is a leadership quality I appreciate in Joshua. And, and bear with me too, because this is again the first time I've taught Uh, on Joshua. So saying my name multiple times is very awkward for me, um, but I'm getting through it. So Joshua immediately, there's no hesitation, there's no questioning, immediately goes after his conversation with the Lord and tells the people, hey, this is what needs to happen. He goes to the priest first. He's like, hey, you need to get the Ark of the Covenant ready. This is what we're going to do. There's no delay in his action. We don't see verse 6 saying, Joshua then presented his case to the Lord and said, Lord, I'm not sure if you understand the situation here. I'm a new leader. This is a new generation, and your plan doesn't make any sense whatsoever. Like, that's not verse 6. Verse 6 is immediate obedience. And for us, that's an example to us. It's so much easier to enjoy the promises of God when we're quick to obey the commands of God, when we're immediately obedient or immediately walking in obedience. That's what Joshua does here. He doesn't delay. He doesn't question. He just gets things done. As a leader, he moves forward and says, this is the plan from the Lord. In our lives as believers, it's so much easier to lead when we're acting in confidence because we understand the one who's commanding us, when we trust the one who's commanding us. This took a lot of faith by Joshua to do this. I know for me personally, if God was to tell me this plan today, I would be like, I don't know, Lord, it doesn't necessarily make sense with what you've taught me my whole life. It doesn't really make sense with what I've known to be true about you. This is really different, and I question a little bit. And I think it's natural to question, but I love Joshua's response. He doesn't. He just, this is it. This is what I'm going to do. I'm not going to make a mistake. I think Joshua saw plenty of mistakes in his time with the previous generation with Moses. I think he was ready to obey. And for you and I today, I hope that it doesn't take multiple mistakes in our lives to get us to that point of immediate obedience. I hope it doesn't take some crazy disaster of breaking us before we say, you know what, no, I'm just going to obey because that's what God's called me to do. Because that's what Joshua does. He just goes right for it. Goes to the priest and says, hey, this is what we need to do. One of the things I want to relay to you is he gets the Ark of the Covenant, or at least God asked for the Ark of the Covenant to be with the people. This was odd. This was an odd command. You won't actually find this anywhere else really in Scripture as a direct command from the Lord. You will see it in Samuel, um, the high priest during Samuel's day. His name was Eli, and his sons decided to take the Ark of the Covenant with them into battle. 
And this was, again, it wasn't something that was normal. The Ark of the Covenant pre- uh, represented the presence of God. And they take the Ark of the Covenant with them to battle. They die, and the Ark of the Covenant gets taken by the Philistines. It wasn't normal. This wasn't something that the Lord would command later on a regular basis. But for this, it was special. Why was it special? I believe the Lord was allowing the Ark of the Covenant to be with the people during this time, specifically the ones that were obeying him by marching, because he wanted to make sure that the awareness of his presence was with them. That they would know that when they maybe started having questions, why are we doing this day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, day seven, they could see the Ark of the Covenant, they could remind themselves we're doing it because God calls us to do it. There is this awareness of his presence. It's a lot easier to obey God when we're aware of his presence, when we're aware of his desire for our lives. It's a lot harder. I like to use this for the, for the youth a lot. Um, I like to use it, period, in any type of counseling, but it's a lot harder to sin when you think of the sacrifice of Jesus on the cross and you look at your sin on the other side. Like, the sin just doesn't look that gratifying anymore. Like, you recognize there was a sacrifice for the sin that I want to commit. But so often, it's hard to be in that place. Like, usually sins are just in the moment. Like, I just, I just want it. I just want to do it. And yet, there's this idea that I think the Lord presents for us in in Joshua chapter 6, where he's saying, hey, I want the Ark of the Covenant with the people. I want it with the people because it's going to remind them that I am with them. It's going to remind them what I have commanded them to do. It's going to remind them that they're not doing this in vain. They're doing it with me, alongside me. And for us, so often, when we don't have that awareness of God, it feels like we're living life on our own. We're taking on everything on our own. We're making these decisions as if there are decisions to make, when in reality, our lives are gifts from God. We were created by God, therefore we owe it to God to be thinking of him when we make our decisions. We owe it to God to have this awareness. Again, going back to reading your word and praying. Reading your word and praying every day is not some legalistic trip. Well, if you want to become a better Christian, you know, you should read your Bible and pray. every. No, no, it has nothing to do with that. It's just good advice if you want to have that awareness of God when you start your day. Like, do you want to start? Like, you can have an awareness of what sports are not happening right now, but baseball's coming back, praise the Lord. You can have awareness of what sports are happening when you look at the ESPN app the first time you wake up. You can have awareness of what's going on in your family's lives or your friends' lives when you look at Instagram when you first wake up. But I would encourage you, be like the people of Israel in, in Joshua chapter 6 and have an awareness of God by bringing God with you, by having his presence with you. Jump in the word, jump in a time of prayer, turn on the worship music, listen to a message if you need to. Get yourself in a position where your thought process will be filtered through the Holy Spirit your day will radically change. You're like, really? Yes. Now, it may not happen right away. And you'd be like, hey, he said my day would radically change. I started and today's been the worst day ever. Well, it just sounds like the Lord's probably rearranging things in the way that you've done things in the past. It takes persistence. It takes that perseverance and obedience despite the difficulty, despite the delay in the success. So Joshua brings the Ark of the Covenant. He tells the priest, hey, get it ready. Second thing I want to point out is in verse 10. Look at with me. Chapter 6, verse 10. I find this unique to Joshua. Because this isn't something the Lord commanded him in verses 1 through 5. It says, Now Joshua commanded the people, saying, You shall not shout or make any noise with your voice, nor shall a word proceed out of your mouth until the day I say to you, Shout. Then you shall shout. Essentially, Joshua is saying, Hey guys, you need to be quiet when we're walking around the wall. I think this is wisdom on Joshua's part. 
Uh, he witnessed what happened the first time they were coming towards the promised land and how 10 spies were able to change a whole nation's perspective on the promise of God through their complaining or their fear. And I think for Joshua, he just recognized, hey, these people are going to be walking around the wall over and over and over together. And naturally, they're probably going to have some questions like, why are we doing this? What is the point? Is anything changing in the wall today? Nope. I wonder if God's really real. I wonder if this is truly from the Lord. I wonder if we should have let Joshua be our new leader. What about that Caleb guy? He was still around. Why didn't we pick him? He seems like a warrior kind of guy. You know, I'm sure there was going to just be these natural questions, and Joshua was very quick to say, hey, I don't want you guys to say anything. Don't make a noise and don't say a word. And I think he recognized that there's an importance, just like we had a series previously where hope is contagious. I also think you could say complaining is contagious. Bad attitudes are contagious. Murmuring is contagious. And it's not just from others. Like, I mean, I get it. You're in a crowd and like you hear some complaining. You're like, yeah, you know, I'm going to jump on this train too. That can't stand mass. I know I was guilty of that yesterday. I was like, man, I cannot believe I just got kicked out of a coffee shop because I didn't have a mass. Like what in the world? I want to pay you money. Um, you're kicking me out. So I was in that same boat just yesterday. So please, I understand. But Joshua, he had this wisdom to say, no, we got to silence the potential complaints right at the very beginning. And for us, it may not even be a person. It may be an internal thought. I know that's where I struggle the most. Before anyone else ever hears something out of my mouth, it has to process through my mind. Oftentimes, we allow ourselves to be infected by our own thoughts, thoughts that we weren't quick to rebuke, thoughts we weren't quick to just destroy. That's not true. Get rid of it. Instead, we dwell on it. We kind of chew on it for a little bit, and then it just somehow slips out. And when it slips out, it kind of infects everybody else around us. You know, you can act like, well, this was a cough. It was a bad idea, and I coughed it out. And now everyone has this bad idea, and we're all on this bad idea train together. Let's get them. You know, it just ruins everything. But it starts with us first. You know, I think a good promise, or not really even a promise, just a good tip of Christian living is that when we are moving forward towards the Lord, when we're desiring to obtain those promises, when we want God we want what God has promised to us to just remind ourselves there are going to be things that pop up in our minds, whether it's from outside influence or just in our own flesh that come up, these thoughts that we're going to have to rebuke in order to encourage ourselves in the Lord and move forward towards his promise. Otherwise, we're going to infect ourselves with this way of thinking that's going to rob us from what God desires to give us. Joshua is wise in silencing the people here, and we would be wise to silence ourselves when we come at odds with what God has planned for us. Joshua was able to say, no, there won't be a word coming out of you as we move forward. It's important for us to recognize that. It's important for us to have this awareness of God. It's important for us to, to be able to silence ourselves before the Lord. The last thing I want to point out in this section is in verse 14. It says, in the second day, they marched around the city once and they returned to camp. And so they did this six days. They did this for six days, guys, six days. Now, after day one, again, I can understand, yeah, it's exciting, let's see what God's gonna do. Nothing has changed. Day two, all right, you know, maybe something's gonna change today. Day three, nothing has changed, but we're still doing this. Day four, so on, so on, so on, day six. Six days of doing this wacky command, doing this weird, this odd, this absurd, illogical way of conquering this city. 
Six days of making yourself vulnerable to attacks from on top of the wall. Six days of walking and listening to the same trumpets being blown by the same seven priests. Six days of the same with no change. And I think obedience in our own lives as a believer can feel the same way. I've been obeying God faithfully, but where's the fruit? Where is what is supposed to be coming? Where's a hint of the promise? Like I would think after seven day, or six days of this, like maybe a chip of the wall would come off. Like maybe we'd start seeing the foundation shake a little bit. I wonder when things are actually gonna start happening in my life. As believers, I think we can get in that same way. We are obedient, we are persevering, but man, this is getting boring. Like this is, Lord, what are you doing? I've been ministering to the same family member for so long and nothing has changed. I've had the hard conversations. I have done everything you've asked. I've lived a pretty good Christian life. I've been a great witness and yet everyone still views me as fill in the blank. Lord, what are you doing? Those questions are natural and they tend to pop up. Six days of this, six days of persevering, six days of persisting in this odd command of God. Six days of putting their trust in the Lord. Six days of putting their faith in the Lord. And for you, you may be at day six, you may be at six weeks, you may be at six months, maybe at six years. But I want to encourage you to continue because day seven's coming. Day seven is coming. God's promises are worth our perseverance. Pick up with me in verse 15. It says, but it came to pass on the seventh day that they rose early about the dawning of the day and they marched around the city seven times in the same manner. On that day, only they marched around the city seven times. And the seventh time it happened when the priests blew the trumpets that God, or that Joshua said to the people, shout for the Lord has given you the city. Now the city shall be doomed by the Lord to destruction, it and all who are in it. Only Rahab the harlot shall live, she and all who are with her in the house, because she hid the messengers that we sent. And you by all means abstain from the accursed things, lest you become accursed when you take of the accursed things, and make the camp of Israel a curse, and trouble it. But all the silver and gold and the vessels of bronze and iron are consecrated to the Lord. They shall come into the treasury of the Lord. And in verse 20, so the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted, or excuse me, it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. A few things I want to point out in this last section as we get ready and wind down to close. First thing is that on day seven, they did exactly what they were called to do. They marched around the city seven times. This was a picture of complete obedience. They completed what they were commanded to do. They didn't stop on day six and march around seven times on day six. They went all the way through day seven. It was complete obedience. It was establishing what God had called them to do. They established their obedience. They established their perseverance. They persisted until it was complete. There was a complete obedience. It's an encouragement for you and I. It's an encouragement for us not to stop at day six or week six, year six, but to continue on to finish what God has commanded us to do. Joshua then is going to give them some things to obey as they enter into this victory, as they enter into this promise. As they get ready to obtain this promise, as they get ready to attain this promise, there are certain things that they need to do. Not much different from what we were talking about earlier, Isaiah 26.3, trust in the Lord. You want that perfect peace? You need trust in the Lord. So Joshua is now saying, hey, guys, we're about to take over the city. There's some things that you need to know. 
The first thing that he says is don't take of the accursed things. Don't take of the accursed things. The accursed things in these days, according to studies and different um, studies of the region and the area that they were in, the people of the land of Canaan were not being removed by God because they were in the children of Israel's way. That was not what's happening here. Don't ever think that God is just promoting some type of genocide or some type of, oh, he just hates people that are not his own. No, no, no. What he's doing is he's bringing the consequences of their sin, their abominable sins. Their, Jericho's sin was truly a spiritual one in the sense that many of the things that they did, these accursed things were representative of child sacrifice. They were representative of some things that would be abominable to the Lord. And God wanted Joshua to make sure that the people of Israel knew not to take of these things, to not be tempted by these things, to not be influenced by these things, to not be tainted by these things. He said, don't take them, because if you take them, it's not only going to affect you, but it's going to affect the camp. It's not, really, and it's not just going to mess up with your life, it's going to mess up with the whole nation's life. And for us, it's important as we walk in this obedience, as we move forward to attain the promise, because again, this is before they get the full victory. They have not yet yelled and seen the walls come down. So this is all preparatory. For us, as we are walking in this obedience, it's important for us to realize not to take the accursed things or a better way to put it for us in today's time is not to compromise in our obedience. Not to compromise in our obedience. Because that compromise affects more than just you and I. It always does. It always affects those around us. It always affects our witness. It always affects the, the full glory that God could receive from it. It always robs from us the full joy that we have for obeying God. When we allow compromise into our lives, not only are we robbing ourselves of the joy and the happiness that God desires to give us, but we're also hurting others around us by not representing God the right way. As a believer, that's probably the most important thing. As a witness, as a light here on earth, it can also be the most damaging thing as a believer when we misrepresent God to others. That happens in compromise. Don't take the accursed things. Don't compromise in your obedience. Move forward. Move forward in complete obedience. Move forward without compromise. Allow the Lord to give you that full blessing. The next thing he says in verse 19 is he wants to make sure that the people of Israel understand that the silver, the gold, the bronze, and the iron, the the things of value go to the Lord. The things that they're about to receive in this victory this promise being fulfilled, those things need to go to the Lord. They can't take of the valuable things. They can't take um, the things that are meant for the Lord. And I think too, it's exciting. Like after you persevere, like after you're persisting through the difficulties, after you're making it through the hardships and you finally get to that place of victory, like you finally see God's promise coming into your life, there is a temptation to take some of the glory of that promise. Like, you know, yeah, this happened because I persisted. Like, yeah, you know, it's because I really put the work into being a really good marcher. Like, I marched around that wall really well. Like, I took, I didn't take half steps, I took full steps all six days. Even just saying that just sounds silly, because it is. It has nothing to do with us when we get those promises with the Lord. Like, it really doesn't. We get to take part in what God's doing. Something I didn't mention before is like, if God is so powerful, like if he is able to part the Red Sea, if he's able to dry the Jordan River, then like, why does he need us? You know, why doesn't he just take Jericho out? Why doesn't he just fill Peter's net? Why doesn't he just just do the things, heal Naaman like that to show his power? You know, why does he need us? What's the point? Well, God desires to have this cooperative relationship with us. He desires us to take part with him in his plan. Why? 
because it builds and develops relationship. And through relationship, there's an intimacy that develops. When you do something with someone else, it's not necessarily for you as much as it is for them. I think of the things that my dad could have done without me uh, and without having to teach me slowly but surely, or the things that I could do on my own 10 times faster, but because I enjoy the person I'm with, I'm going to show them my love for it or my passion for it. I'm going to teach them. I'm going to walk alongside them. Why? Not because it's more efficient for me, not because I can't just do it. Yeah, I'll just done, over. No, because I want to spend time with this person. I want to develop a relationship with this person. I want to enjoy intimacy in the project that we're working on together. I want to get to know this person. For God, the same way. Yeah, he can do so much. You're in a, you're in a tight position right now. Maybe you lost your job because of COVID. You know, maybe you're going through a, a difficult relationship. Maybe you are facing something you've never faced before in your life. You're like, God, why can't you just fix it? Just give me a job. Like, you're just done. God's like, because I, I want to teach you something. I want to walk you through this. I want to show you something that you've never seen before. I want to develop this intimacy with you. Why? Because our God is a God of relationship. He'll never write you off. He'll never say, see you later. He'll never say, you know, I'm done with you. But he's always waiting. Like, I'm waiting. I'm waiting to walk with you through this. I'm waiting to show you what you need. I'm waiting to show you not just the fact of, not in like a correcting sense. I'm, ready, I'm just waiting to show you what you need in your life to be a better person. No, no. It's like, I'm waiting to show you everything that you could ever desire. Like, you have needs? I'm waiting to show you how I can fulfill those needs. You have desires? I'm waiting to show you how I can fulfill those desires. Our God is a God of cooperation. Our God is a God of relationship. Our God is a God of love. Yes, he has the power to do all of this on his own, but he chooses to do it with us. Why? Because he loves us. He desires to show us something about his character that we've never seen before, that maybe this situation, this command is gonna finally draw out of us. That's what God's doing here with the children of Israel. Joshua's reminding them, guys, give to the Lord what is the Lord's. Don't take for yourself the things that are meant for God. We're about to have great victory, but this victory is not because of how amazing you are, or how obedient you've been, but because of how God has loved you and cared for you and taken you into this. He's given you the promise. So don't take the things that are of the Lord's. And we'll see, if you were to read forward in Joshua chapter 7, there's a man who decides to take some stuff. He gets to enjoy the promise of God. He gets to enjoy the victory of God uh, in Jericho, and he decides to take some of the valuable things and Unfortunately, he ends up losing his life, and it costs the life of not only him, but also those uh, in Israel who are part of the next battle. They go into battle versus a small town of Ai, and they get beat after a great victory. Why? Because of one sin, one man's sin. His name was Achan. It's a little bit of homework for you. Hopefully, it tantalizes your taste buds. You're like, I want to read. So go read it. It's a great story. It's important not to take the things that are of the Lord's. The last thing I want to show you as we wrap up is found in verse 20. Actually, let's turn to verse 2 first. In chapter 6, we're going, we're going to go back to verse 2. Then we'll jump into verse 20. Verse 2 says this in, in Joshua 6. And the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have given Jericho into your hand, its king and the mighty men of valor. Now, fast forward with me to verse 20. 
So the people shouted when the priests blew the trumpets, and it happened when they blew the trumpets, or excuse me, it happened when the people heard the sound of the trumpet, and the people shouted with a great shout that the wall fell down flat. Then the people went up into the city, every man straight before him, and they took the city. In verse 2, the people of Israel, and this is for those of you who are reading through New King James, you'll be able to see this, uh, this word, but it says that the people of Israel were given Jericho in verse 2. They were given Jericho. So before verse 20 comes, where you can see it says at the very end, they took the city or they took Jericho. They were given Jericho back in verse 2. But they finally took Jericho in verse 20. In between there was 18 verses. 18 verses of perseverance. They finally took hold of what God had already given them before all of this started. They finally took hold of it in verse 20. But God had given it to them in verse 2. As believers, that's a great picture for us. There are so many promises God has already given to us that are available to us. They're already given to us in verse 2 of our lives. Yet we may not take hold of them until we get to verse 20. There's 18 verses that represent obedience, 18 verses that represent perseverance, 18 verses that represent difficulty, 18 verses that represent the questioning of like, this is, I don't understand it. Lord, what are you doing? There's 18 verses happening before they get to verse 20, which gives them what God has already given them in verse 2. All of this was a victory. It was a promised victory, not just in verse 2, but it was back in, verse, or in chapter 1 when God is first speaking to Joshua. He says, anywhere your foot lands, I've given to you. That's when they receive the promise. Specifically for this in Jericho, God tells Joshua in verse 2, I've given it to you. I've given you the city. I've given you the mighty men of valor. But it wasn't until verse 20 that they actually took hold of what God had given them. I want to encourage you today because it may feel like you're going through something really difficult right now. And you may be at verse 5. You may be at verse 19. You're right there. You're at the finish line. You're day 6. You got one more day to go. I want to encourage you, you've made it this far, continue on. And don't forget what you're going after, what the Lord has given you, what you're seeking. Maybe it's that peace. Like, Lord, I just, I just want that perfect peace that was said in Isaiah 26.3. I just want that perfect peace. And God's saying, I just want this part of your life. Trust me with this area of your life. You've trusted me with so many other things. All these different verses, verses 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, you've given me, but now I just need verse 19. That's all that's left. Trust me with that one area of your life. Once you do, you're going to finally get the peace that you've been wanting. The peace that I have made available to you since verse 2. I want to encourage you because it's not always instant. You know, read those verses, Lord, I want it now. Sometimes the Lord says, I know I can give it to you now, but I want to develop a process with you. I want to develop an intimacy with you. I want to develop a relationship with you. I want to walk alongside you. I want to show you that there is a victory waiting for you. But we need to get through these 18 verses first before I can allow you to fully take it in verse 20. For the children of Israel, they received the victory. They obtained God's promise because they persevered in obedience to the Lord. He had given them, before even the commands were given to Joshua, he had given them victory in verse 2. But it wasn't until verse 20 that they finally took the promise of God. And for you and I, again, if there is one thing I'd want you to leave with this morning is that it's God's promises are worth our perseverance. 
They're worth your perseverance. They're worth the faith, the trust, the obedience that's needed to obtain those promises of God. It's worth the persistence despite the difficulty that you're facing or the delayed achieved success. It's worth it. It's worth the 18 verses because God desires to give you what he's already made available to you in verse 2. We just got to get it to verse 20. Amen? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much for your word. And we, again, Lord, we thank you that you encourage us. As much as we want to be encouraged, you're ready and available to lead us and answer our questions. Lord, I pray that as we leave today that we would be better representations of you. Lord, I pray that our witness would scream of your glory. Lord, that we would not be an excuse for others to not walk after you. I pray, Lord, that we would follow after your voice, that we would silence and rebuke the complaining thoughts or the doubting thoughts that we have when you call us to do something. Lord, I pray that we wouldn't fight, but that we would be immediately obeying your voice and your commands. Be with us as we move and head out, Lord. Encourage us and strengthen us. In your name we pray, amen. Before we end today, uh, this message was very much so catered towards the believer. It was catered to the, to the one that has a relationship with the Lord. But you may be here or maybe you're watching online, you're streaming this in the future, and you may be saying, I don't even have that relationship. In fact, I feel like I'm going through something that I have no direction for whatsoever. And if that's you, if, if that's where you're at today, I want to give you an opportunity to have and start that relationship that I was speaking about with the God who loves you and the God who desires to, to make these promises available to you, who desires to give you those victories. It'll be a simple prayer, just like I said in those promises, if you confess your sins, which are mistakes that have separated us from God, a perfect God, a loving God, if you confess your sins to the Lord, he is faithful and just to forgive you of those sins. If you believe in your heart that Jesus Christ, who he sent as a son, died for you, he lived a sinless life, he died for you, so you could show that he conquered death and rose again three days to show that he defeated the consequences of sin, to reconcile you with his father, with him, I can lead you through a prayer. And that prayer is not what saves you. It's the admittance and the belief and, again, that perseverance in, in walking towards the Lord and saying, like, I want to build this relationship. I want to get to know the God who created me. If that's you today, I want to give you an opportunity. To, you can raise your hand. You can stand up. Standing up helps me see you. Um, if you're watching online, or listening on the radio right now, I, I want to make sure that you know we have the resources available to you too. I'm going to lead you into a prayer that you can follow along. It's a really simple prayer. It's just a prayer of repentance, prayer of belief. For those who are watching as well, uh, I want to lead you through this prayer. And it's very simple. It goes like this. Dear Lord, dear Jesus, I admit to you that I'm a sinner. I made mistakes. I'm not perfect. And I recognize that those mistakes have separated me from a perfect God. But I also understand, and I may not understand fully, but I believe what this guy just said, that you sent your son to die for me so that you would wash me of my sins, that you would forgive me, that you would cleanse me from that unrighteousness. I want that cleansing. 
I want that relationship. I believe that your son died for me. And he rose again three days later. I turn away from these sins, God. And I ask that you would give me the strength to move forward in loving you and obeying you. I pray, Lord, that you would give me that perseverance to pursue this relationship with you. And I trust you with my life. In Jesus' name, amen. We pray that you've been encouraged by this Bible study delivered live from the sanctuary of Calvary Aurora. For prayer or a copy of this study, call us at 877-30-GRACE. That's 877-304-7223. Or visit us online at calvaryaurora.org. Be blessed as you worship Jesus this week.